Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. But the father, hiking up his robe, takes the shame, runs. A nobleman did not run. You always had one foot on the ground at all times. When you run, very briefly, you are airborne as you're running. That father takes the shame of the people in town that should be directed at the son. It's directed at him. He did a scandalous and shameful thing. He runs through town before the son even gets there. Saving the son from the shame. Then he throws his arms around him and kisses him all over the head, which is tantamount to saying, You are my son. I receive you back as a son. All is forgiven. Everything is in the past. Trust in me. You came to me. You repented of your sin. That is all I asked for. And all that can come out of the boy's mouth while this is happening is verse 21. I've sinned against heaven. In other words, again, saying, My sins have piled as high as heaven. And in your sight, I am not worthy to any longer be called your son. He drops the part about being the hired man because that's irrelevant now. He has been reconciled to the Father. He understands it. And that is the glory of salvation, folks. God forgives the one who repents and asks for forgiveness. No works involved on your part at all. Nothing to commend him in his filthy, rotten, stinking rags as a beggar who possesses nothing, who can earn nothing. That is the grace of God in our salvation. Amen. We have nothing we can bring to God. Nothing. You cannot bring anything to God to make him accept you any more than just yourself. Just the way you are. Pig stink and all. Glory to God. Shout amen somebody at that one. Hallelujah. But to the Pharisees, oh, this was ridiculous. They didn't understand this at all. All they understood was, you have to earn your way back. So this was outrageous, shameful, shocking actions on the father's part. This father just continues to do dishonorable things. Nobody would do that. When the son comes back, you make him sit outside the gate for a few days. You make him sit out in the town square and take the scorn and be spit on for a few days. Then finally, you might give him an audience briefly. But all you're going to say is, this is what it's going to take. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do this for this many years. 
You give me everything I asked for. You give me everything you earned to pay back what you wasted. And we'll see if maybe, maybe you could be reconciled. That's what the son would expect. That's what the Pharisees would expect the father to do. That was the honorable thing in that culture to do. That's what the boy deserved. That's what he should get. But that's not what the father gave him. The father's reception was a shameful thing in their minds. And as the shameful reception goes into the shameful reconciliation in verse 22... The father not only takes him back as a son, but restores him to full sonship privileges. He tells the servants, bring the best robe, the best robe, and put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. What's the robe? A symbol of honor in the family. It's the most important garment the family owned. And right now it's owned by the father. Worn by the father at the most prestigious events that the family would ever conduct or be engaged in. In other words, this father is giving this dishonorable son all of the family honor that he could give. Then they take the signet ring, which you use to stamp official documents, which means the father gives this son the freedom to act and If the son wanted to, he could liquidate everything again and run away. But the father says, no, this son is truly repentant. So I'm giving him back access to all the family resources. Then he puts shoes on his feet. Servants are barefoot. Hired men are barefoot. Only the masters and the rulers and the sons wear shoes. Give him full sonship, the father says. Give him full power and authority of that sonship. Full authority with full honor. Oh, that is a picture of salvation. When the sinner comes to the father bankrupt with absolutely nothing and casts himself on the father's mercy and says, I have wasted everything you gave me. My sins are as high as heaven. I have sinned against you, God. I've sinned against you. I can offer you nothing. I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. How many people have said that phrase? Be honest. When everything was going wrong and you said, God, oh, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I got my hand up. I said that prayer. Because we are ingrained with that works sense mentality. But the father just embraces him in love and says, you don't need to work. I give you full sonship with all the rights and the privileges, all the honor, all the authority of Jesus. That is salvation. Now what does the father do? Or why does he do that? Because it brings him joy. 
Verse 23, what the Pharisees would see is a shameful celebration. The father says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and be merry. The father's joy, the heavenly father's joy is found in the one sinner who comes home and repents of his sins and is given forgiveness. Amen. That's the joy of God. Verse 24 says, This son of mine was dead. Remember way back a couple sessions ago, I told you that when he left, there would have been a funeral for this son. He was kicked out of the family. He was kicked out of town. He was kicked out of society. But here we see an example of how the son has come back to life. He was lost, but he'd been found. And they began to make merry and have a great celebration. That's the third party in this chapter. There was the party when the sheep was found. There was a party when the coin was found. And now there's a party when the son that was lost has been found. And that is the whole point that Jesus has been trying to get across to his audience. That's what makes heaven rejoice is the salvation of sinners. That's why God sent Jesus into the world to seek and save that which was lost. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. I got to stop right there for a second. Jesus, the Son of Man, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not just for the joy of the sinner, not just for the joy of the people in the church. Oh, yay! Three people got saved today. Well, praise God for the three people. Jesus didn't come to make you happy. Jesus didn't come to justify that your church saved three people today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. It's not for his joy, but for the joy of the Father and the joy of the Holy Spirit. The whole kingdom of God, the Apostle Paul says, is joy. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be one long Everlasting celebration. Praise God. Okay, I said all that over the last 45 minutes or so just to get you caught up in case you are just joining us. And at this point, the third character enters the scene, the older son. Verse 25. It's going to take us the rest of this session and probably next time because of time to get into this because this is probably the most interesting aspect of the story. So I don't want to rush it. <clears throat> but I believe, I know you will receive a huge revelation from this part of the story. Amen? Now most people would say that the older son, oh, he was the Christian. Yes. He was the believer who was at home doing the work that he should be doing. But folks, that's not true. 
That is not true at all. It's 100% false. The older son, it's so fascinating what Jesus does here. The older son, now you have to understand, remember we're talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, the legalists. You're sitting there listening to the story. Everything everybody has done up to now is shameful. Everything, every aspect of this story. You're just waiting for somebody to do what you know is the right thing. The first son did shameful things in how he treated his father. The father shamefully gave this son what he asked for. And then he shamefully took him back and lavished love on him and forgave him and restored him into sonship without any works at all. So he brought shame on himself again by giving him all the honor, authority, and power, leadership authority. And then the father brought more shame to himself by calling the whole community together and celebrate this massive feast over this shameful son who just arrived back in town. I mean, this is completely outrageous. The whole story is shameful. Now, finally, here comes somebody who has been doing what the Pharisees, Pharisees think is the honorable thing. He's been working. This is our boy. This is who represents us in this story. Verse 25. Glory to God. And in. Oh, by the way. <laughs> By meeting this son, they meet themselves. This is that this is the guy they can relate to. The older son was in the field. Yes, amen. He's been out in the field working. He's been out in the field working that day as many landowners would work. Basically, sitting under a shade tree, making sure all the servants and hired hands are doing what they're supposed to do. That's what the Pharisees did. They were basically supervising or overseeing all the work. That's what they do. The Pharisees, that is what Jesus said they were guilty of when he said, you make all these laws and create all these burdens, but you don't even lift one finger to help others out. In fact, the noblemen in the Middle East did not usually work. That was beneath their dignity. But anyway, he was out in the field. What strikes me is the father hasn't told him anything. The father hadn't sent a servant out and said, hey, get, your, get this older son and bring him back. He didn't do anything. The father hasn't been looking for him. He didn't send a messenger out, say, wherever he was, hey, 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 your brother's back. We're going to have a party. Come on. Come greet your brother and embrace him and rejoice with me. Let's get this party off the ground. He didn't say that. He didn't do that. Because, look, he was, number one, primary, the, num, this son was the primary party planner in the family. That was the job of the firstborn son. He had the responsibility to carry off all the events, major events of the family, particularly those that were designed to bring honor to the family. And this party was in honor of the family. 
Not so much the son who came back, but of the father who took him back. The whole village came together to give honor to this loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving, reconciling father. But nobody bothered to go out and tell the older son. The father doesn't go get him. Why not? Wouldn't you, listening to this story? You say, why didn't somebody go get him and bring him back? The answer is... Are you ready? Because the older son had no relationship with the father either. The father knows he has no interest in his brother. He proved that at the beginning of the story when he didn't step in and try to stop his brother from doing what was so terrible. It proved he has no interest in the father as well. He proved that by not intervening between his brother and his father in order to stop his brother from such a dishonorable act towards his father and towards the family. In fact, he took his part of the inheritance as well. He never defended the father's honor. He has no relationship to anybody in the family. Being out in the field is sort of a metaphor for where he was in terms of that family. The younger son had gone into a far country. This guy is out in the far field. But the symbolism there is they're both away from the father. This son goes to work, you could say, to get away from the father. Just leave the father at home. I'll go out in the field where I'm the boss, where everybody gives me honor. Everyone listens to me. Everyone does what I say. And at the end of the day, usually late in the day, he would come home and have as little interaction with the father as he could. Very little. He probably had a little office set up or a study where he could retire for the evening and go over the books, spending very little time interacting with the father, only when necessary. So in this story, they both come home. Both sons come home to the father but the very different receptions. So he's out in the field. The day comes to an end. And it says he came and approached the house. And since he had not, up to that point, heard anything, there must have been an indication that a, it, it's a pretty big estate. Amen? His father has a big estate where someone can actually be far enough away, and you don't even know when a huge celebration involving Hundreds of people is going on at your house. That's a way to indicate the greatness of God's kingdom. But he comes back and as he approaches the house, he says he heard music and dancing. Now again, everything up to this point has been shameful in the eyes of the Pharisees. Shameful younger son granted his request granted and perceived a shameful reply by the father. The son acts in shameful rebellion, ends up making a shameful repentance, and the father gives him what they perceive as a shameful reception and a shameful reconciliation, and now a shamefully big rejoicing party. It all, it, it's all just against what all of them believe to be right. And they're drawn into this story now, as I believe you are too, amen. There's nothing wrong with that. 
They've been making critical judgments every step of the way. Jesus was a master storyteller. He could pull his audience right into the story. They had to make ethical judgments every step of the way in every story. It's a simple story, understandable. Ethical elements contained in the story, and they sit in the position of making ethical judgments. They, there they are, the experts on honor and shame, having been surprised and shocked at every level, at every part of the story, and now they're basically outraged by the conduct of everybody. And Jesus is about to introduce them to themselves. Someone who turns out to be just like them. It's brilliant stuff. It is really brilliant when you analyze it the way we've been going through it. They understand nothing of divine grace. They resent divine grace. They don't understand the heart of God. They don't understand his mercy, his tenderness, his compassion, or his forgiveness, and the desire to reconcile with sinners. They know absolutely nothing about that. That's why they don't understand why Jesus, God in human flesh, spends his time with sinners. The older son is the one guy who makes sense to them. They resent the unholy son. They see him as the opposite of their own self-righteous selves. They think the father is some kind of an idiot for shaming himself in the way he treats this son. But finally, they have somebody they can identify with. Somebody who knows what honor is. He's been out working, doing the works, doing what he's supposed to do honorably. And now he comes home, and as he approaches the house, not having been included in anything at all, not the planning or anything, the father knows that. He knows this boy has no interest in him. He knows he has no concern for the father's joy. He knows he doesn't care at all about his younger brother. He knows that. He has no love for his father, no desire to honor his father, grieving, even though his father is grieving towards the wayward son, he doesn't care. He doesn't care at all about his father. He is a Pharisee. A Pharisee. He pretends to stay in the father's house, to be dutiful, to do what the father says, to hang around, to get what he wants, to get the father's approval and affirmation and wealth and land and community prestige. He wants to appear religious. He wants to appear as the dutiful son in the eyes of society. On the outside, he upholds all of the conventional modes of external honor. So he comes home and he hears the music and the dancing. The Greek word is symphonist. We get the Greek word, or we get the word symphony, and choros, which is chorus. So he hears a party going on. There's music, and in those days, the men danced in a circle, men only. There was clapping and singing, and there'd be instruments for the music. The word symphonosis is originally a double 
word meaning. In some Arabic translations, it referred to voices together. So there's voices, instruments, dancing, singing. The whole thing is going on. It's a huge celebration. The fatted calf has been killed. What they did not... When they killed a fatted calf in those days, they did not fillet it. They just chopped it up into slabs of meat. And they would cook it in big chunks in bread ovens. And they would start to party in a very imprecise way. Life was not nearly as by the clock as it is today. The day was over. Work was over. And the announcement would go out. Come to my house. I'm killing the fatted calf. The sun is home. People would begin to come. When they arrived, they'd become, they would eat, and the meat would continue to cook. And it would be continually cooked for hours, and the singing and celebrating would go on as well into the night as the ebb and flow of this wonderful celebration took place. Well, when this sun comes home, it's already underway. It's already a full-blown party when the older son arrives. And again, it's an indication that he probably came home from a long way, indicating the greatness of the father's estate. And he's stunned. He's surprised and confused, mostly suspicious, because legalists are always suspicious, particularly of joyful people. And by the way, something this big is not usually planned in one day. This was planned for months and months by the Father. And he was not the center of it. He is, after all, the owner of the land because the estate's already been divided. Though he cannot take possession of his part till the Father's death, but it's already assigned to him. These are his resources being used. This is his calf. And all of the rest of the things that are going on He's using things that actually belong to him, and he hasn't even been consulted about it. He doesn't know anything about it. He doesn't even know what's happening until he shows up. This, too, is another outrageous act on the part of the Father in the eyes of the Pharisees. It's an insult. So when he arrives, when he approaches the house, he hears music and dancing. Then... It should say, and he rushed into his father and said, Father, what's going on here? What's all this partying about? But he doesn't do that. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.